0: Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: So, with that in place, let's come back to the identity question, and that is: so how does how how does Christian identity intersect with with that kind of tear tearing of of sexual identity?
2: Well, I think about it a little bit like I think about. Um, my church. So I'm in a multi ethnic church that was launched specifically to bring people together of different cultural backgrounds who would recognize their cultural differences as real, but also celebrate a kingdom identity that transcends those other identities. And I think with the three tier distinction, there's a sense in which the believer has a kingdom identity an identity in Christ that supersedes all of the other ways that we talk about ourselves.
1: And that can be in any any all kinds of categories, not just sexuality, All right? kinds
2: of categories. Yeah. And yet in this same sense, when I'm in a multi-ethnic church, you don't you don't talk so much about a kingdom identity as though we aren't different mm-hmm. in our cultural differences. Like mm-hmm. there there are genuine differences. Mm-hmm with um, people who are Latino, people who are African American, people who are Caucasian. So uh, we want to recognize those differences, and in some cases, um, uh, listen to each other, be sensitive to how these differences inform their, their, their life. Well, let's say someone experiences strong same-sex sexuality. I think you want to be careful about imposing, well, I just heard this guy on a podcast and we should have a kingdom identity that trumps everything mm-hmm. else. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, yes, it does. But if the person's same-sex sexuality means their life is significantly different than yours for reasons that you've never firsthand fully appreciated, it's an opportunity to listen to them and unpack the complexities of what that life must be like for them, and not just drop kingdom identity on top of them, so you can kind of go on about your business. It isn't a
1: wiping people. out. It, it, it's not, and it's not a nullification. Is that right. what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let us – I'm going to shift gears now because I want to work with another phrase that we've often talked about on these podcasts on this topic and come back and develop it. We've kind of worked it from one side, so I'm going to – since I got you back, I got the chance to work it on the other. It, it's, it's your phrase, uh, convicted civility. And we've spent a lot of time talking about the civility, developing the empathy, trying to listen and learn. In fact, we've spent much of the first half hour doing that now uh, and, and to get a sense of of how to engage in a conversation and a dialogue um, but n- now I want to deal with the conviction side of things and how that works and 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 how you see that playing it out because I think some people when they listen t- to that phraseology or think about it and they say hear the civility part and particularly uh, the the concern to be, uh, what I would consider to be properly empathetic, uh, um, that they say, well, doesn't that end up washing out the truth? That do we ever say where we are and what and what taking a moral stand is, and how does that look, and what does that look like? So I'm kind of giving you an open-ended chance to to uh, to respond to what I think is a common uh, criticism of this approach from people who who've feel some urge to stand up and and you know and take a moral stand on on what this represents so.
2: Well, it was very kind of you to attribute the phrase to me, but let me say that I um, stole that shamelessly from uh, Richard Mao, um, who, when I met him, said he took that from Martin Marty. So uh, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how far that I don't know,
1: back. Which, that pedigree may or may not help us, so go ahead.
2: <laughs> but the, the observation is that you, you have too many Christians who are strong on convictions, but you wouldn't want them representing you before the culture because mm-hmm. of how they talk about different issues. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you have people, more to your point here, you have people who are so strong on civility you have no idea what they believe in. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah, I think I think there's a uh, the challenge is to balance the two. Now you're always gonna have people who temperamentally or the role that they have in, in the culture, they're drawn to more uh, of one or the other. I mean sometimes people in more cultural discourses and politics are probably going to be more on the convicted side, and, and they're in a setting where as a believer, uh, that's the venue that, that God's called them to. And it, But I'd, I'd encourage them, can you do that with civility? Can you have an ironic tone too? Mm-hmm. Now someone like me, I'm probably on the side of the civility piece, mm-hmm. I probably spend more time just because I'm trained in the field of clinical psychology. and. Um, the therapeutic stance of kind of erring more on that side, and mm-hmm. you say, Well, but Mark, what do you believe in? And I'm hoping that I am clear in my convictions and, and that I'm not leaving people wondering, Gosh, what does he really believe about sexual morality?
1: Mm-hmm. Stan, what what advice do you have?
0: You know, I I think that uh, the 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 balance is very hard to maintain, but it is an important balance to maintain. Um, I think that you can maintain it in your personal relationships, even in your clinical relationships with people, counseling relationships. But we also have to to do it uh, in terms of institutions and. I'm thinking of a, a time recently where it, I, I happened to be visiting an uh, evangelical church with which I'm familiar. It was almost an accident that I was there that morning, though nothing is an accident in God's providence. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be uh, in, in the congregation on the Sunday when the ch- church leadership announced that it was changing the positions and policies of the church to be inclusive of monogamous gay couples. And uh, and afterwards, the, the, the pastor knew who I was and, and asked my opinion about things. And we, I exchanged Quite an email correspondence with this individual, where, where I I, I, I tried to affirm that as far as I could tell, the the church was still preaching the gospel. They were preaching that we needed to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, that we needed to seek forgiveness for our sins through the the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cro- on the cross. That, that that they were their core message was still gospel oriented and gospel grounded. But I also said, you know. Um, the 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 consistent teaching of the of the scriptures and of the church for two millennia has been that this is a, this is a mistake. This is not this is not God's intended will, and we we I tried to argue that that you know I don't don't regard what you the step you've taken as heresy, but I do regard it as a significant misjudgment, a significant mistake in pastoral leadership and teaching of the church. I believe you have let false teaching creep into the the moral instruction of this particular local church, and we had an exchange. And I was I was very gratified. I was I was forceful, but I was also trying to communicate that that this is really significant. And I was very gratified. The pastor afterwards w- was able to articulate the, the the how the church leadership had come to a point of disagreement. But they also the pastor shared all my correspondence with the church. And several people wrote me afterwards and said, you know, this was this was a a fair interchange where I felt respected. I felt. Heard, but um, but it was clear that y- your conviction is that we have gone in the wrong direction. <laughs> so uh, I think I think that administratively. Uh, in terms of leadership, I think at individual levels and at corporate levels we do have, there are times where we need to be really clear. I think that um, some people use clarity, however, as a defense to Mm -hmm. push the other person away. Mm -hmm. We we have given up on that person and and we can sort of make the proclamation of the hard line Mm -hmm. a way of saying I don't need to engage you. And uh, I think that God would have us engage that, engage people who are in the wrong place, and what Scripture teaches is in the wrong place in this area. But we, we, would, we should engage them in love, and the moral message is not the first thing that needs to be on our lips. But if we're unaf- if we're afraid or hesitant to say the moral message when it matters, then then s- something significant is missing. And so that's it. Really, is a, a judgment call um, that that really depends on the situation. It depends on the nature of the relationship. It depends on the the move of the Holy Spirit as to when they're ready to hear. But um, but Institutions like churches are really on the line. People want to know what what does the church teach about this area, and and there is a need for clarity in a time when there's a lot of confusion about it.
1: Yeah, and I think he introduced a couple of categories here that are helpful to think about. There's how I relate to the person as the individual, and the individual exchange is happening, but then there's also the corporate responsibility of being an institution like the church, in which you're trying to model certain behavior. I, I like to give this illustration of kind of the tension, and I begin by saying now both of these. Are in Scripture, uh, and uh, so the question now is, how do we relate these two pieces to one another? And the one is the very famous passage in Paul in First Corinthians, where um, where Paul is urging the church to discipline someone who's been engaged in incest, and basically makes the point, you know, this is something that doesn't even go on in, in very often in the pagan world, and, and and so it really is a strong, direct. Uh, uh, call for the institutional discipline, and then, in the Gospel of john we 've got you know jesus 's remark when the woman is caught in adultery about who 's going to cast the first stone, followed by after that, and everyone scatters his remark about saying sin no more and so we 've got on the one I think one is more an individualized uh, passage, the other is more a Corporate passage, but you are seeing this tension. We live in a fallen world in which we live in the midst of tension, in which we're trying to balance things. And it doesn't seem to me that the solution is to cherry pick between those two passages. Oh, I like the John uh, eight passage. I'll take that over First Corinthians. No, what I've got to do is wrestle with what is the relationship between these two passages that keeps me uh, faithful to the whole of what Scripture is doing. That's right. What do you What do you think, Mark?
2: yeah I mean those are tensions that i I feel as a, as I was listening to you uh, talk about it. I mean I, I get the sense that if uh, the one case had been adultery that was going on on when it wasn't being discussed, I think Paul would have said, Hey, I understand this is going on. this needs to stop mm-hmm. um, and I think in the other case, I think Jesus is responding to um, First and foremost, to the ways in which people were applying the law to this person, and and uh, and in their hearts, I think, trying to constantly trying to trick Jesus and capture him and get him doing something that they could hold against him. And so, I think, knowing their hearts, he trumped uh, the situation mm-hmm. by taking it in a different direction. So, but of course, the rest of us uh, have to kind of figure out what are the scenarios that we're in, and when are we responsible in a ecclesiastical setting and a church setting, when are we part of shepherding the body, responsible there? Those are more doctrinal positions, I think, overseeing uh, with policy and so on. Others are more shepherding the individual and pastoring them and looking at how people might um, set them apart for special condemnation so that they get a pass, the, the people making condemnation. So I think it's incumbent on Christian leaders to Pray for humility and for wisdom in how you interact with the people of, of, uh,
1: of God. So let me let me I'm going to go, go through a list of kind of scenarios that people do often come up against. And, and just what I'm interested in here hearing in here is not so much an answer, although in some cases I think we may get that, but, but the process that you go through in, in wrestling with this. And the first scenario is maybe the hardest one I'm going to mention. That is you have a child and they walk into your living room and they announce one way or another that they are gay that they that this is this is uh, who they see themselves as being and they they've come to let you know that um now I suspect that in the counseling that you all do, that this has probably happened more than once, um, and you're dealing with with uh, uh, parents who find themselves in this situation, and not just the parents. This is important too to keep an eye on on all the players, um, the child who's who's worked up the nerve, if I can say it that way, to say that to their parents. Um, what what. How do we deal with both of those groups? How do we deal with the parents? How do we deal with the with the child? If I'm a pastor who finds someone in my parish or congregation who's, who's dropped into this situation and the parent and or the child has come to them and said, Pastor, I need your help in negotiating what's happened here, uh, what would you tell them?
0: I'm happy to start, and uh, I think that uh, there there are some re- very bad stories out there of the mm-hmm. ways that Christian conservative Christian parents have handled this. There have been some very rejecting and, and punitive and and uh, horrible sort of ex- examples, and that that I think we should avoid. Um, I think that. Um, if if i were in that situation if i was that parent what what i would want to embody at the moment of course you'd be stunned you, what would be running through your mind is is this is not this the this, this scenario that i had had dreamed of for my child this is not what i had hoped for the trajectory i had hoped for but i think it's a very important first to just simply listen uh, this this is this is really uh, an incredibly difficult thing for children to talk with their parents the children are anticipating all kinds of horrible reactions and the parents are, are oftentimes taken taken off guard, and t- they don't they did not see this coming, which is itself unfortunate. Um, but I think that the principles that we need to have in mind is that I'm in this for the long haul. I love my child. Uh, I, I want to embody the the best of what God Himself. I think parenting is. Uh, at its best, an attempt to reflect the, the, the enduring love of God to our child, the way that God loves us, and so uh, t- to have in mind that I, that I want to em- embody God's very character in the way that I respond. So I want to I want to uh, communicate that that my love will never cease for you. Uh, my, my I have views about the morality of this, but the first, most important thing is for me to listen and uh, and the child may, may be saying I'm coming out and I've made a whole set of moral commitments. It can be I'm, I'm in a relationship, mm-hmm. I'm leaving the church and so mm-hmm. forth and so on, but it can also be here's the feelings that I'm struggling with. And so it, those are very different sort of presentations. Yes, very, very different scenarios. And I think that parents need to just say, you know that's a shock. Tell me about that. And but as you tell me about it, I make I am committed. Please know that my love for you will never change. It will never erode. I, I'm committed for for the long haul. But part of loving the child is I want their best. And so, so I'm committed to helping them try to understand what they're going through. To being a resource for them, and. Um, the, the difficulties lie down the path in terms of, of what that love, what form that love takes. Yeah. But, uh, but in, in the initial situation, ideally, the parent is a resource for the child. That, 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 that The child really does know, no matter what, my parents love me. They're going to stay in relationship with me. And uh, they're going to be there as, in the same way that God is going to have a persistent love
3: for me, no matter what. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there.
1: Mark? Yeah,
2: very similar. I mean, I, I I would open with I love you. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be my first response. I would you know thank you for, for sharing this with me, uh, acknowledge how challenging that would be. The data here is very clear that parents are often the last to know. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's say they're 16 or 17, well, they may have experienced same-sex sexual feelings as young as 13, 12. Um, so they may be navigating this terrain for many years before they shared this with their mom and dad. Hmm. And so what that often means is they've talked to a peer group and peer groups in in our culture today are struggling too how do we respond to a friend of ours who's shared this with us? Mm-hmm. But 9 times out of 10 pretty supportive can can often be a very supportive peer group environment. And so the real challenge is maybe bringing it back to mom and dad. So first of all for parents, keep in mind that you're catching up now emotionally mm-hmm. with where your child may have been for a while. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I would also say that to a child, keep in mind that as you share this with them, your parents have not had the last couple of years mm-hmm. to be on this terrain. And, this is new for them. Yeah. and it's old for you. And so, giving them 48 hours is not going to help them catch up, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But, um, but so as a parent, I think you want to say, "I love you," and I want to, you know, thank you for, for, for. Um, sharing this with me. And I think what you're essentially saying is, I really appreciate that you would trust me with something, that you would be as transparent Mm -hmm. with me with something like this. That must be scary. Um, And I love the idea, Stan brought up, of taking the long view. Mm -hmm. We know from all kinds of research that they will be navigating this terrain for many years to come. And so I think many parents in our culture are socialized to think of in problem-solving mode. Well, if we can wrap this up, if we can get to the end of this, if we can figure this out together, meaning for most of us, it's a project that I can wrap up in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a as a mm-hmm. clinician, I'm uh, parents often bring people to me and say, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to pick them up in about 50 minute. You're, you do a 50 minute hour right? I'll mm-hmm. pick them up, and then we'll be in a good spot, right? I mean, it's it's that kind of mentality towards right. something where you really need to take the long view. Mm.
0: But I can also, uh, Daryl. That, mm-hmm. that um, I've been thinking a lot about trial recently. I've I've had some very complicated personal medical situations mm-hmm. that have been, have been have been demanding, and I've uh, through reading a number of resources and personal reflection, I've really come to it's, it's, you know the the, the the way I can articulate. I guess the way I think we want to respond to trials, and this is a trial. It's a trial for the parents, and it's a trial for the child. That's mm-hmm. important. Remember, this mm-hmm. is a burden that is that is that they feel different, and they they, they do as Marcus emphasized. In order they face unique challenges that are that are really pressing and difficult now and um, when we face trials we oftentimes don't want to accept the trial we don't want to accept the reality for it so we, we do dis- we sort of distance ourselves from it we resist accepting that this is what this is what is God is this is what God has allowed to be put on my plate right now. And we also spend a lot of time asking a, a set of questions that that have no possible answer uh, why is this happening to me? what mm-hmm. went wrong you know you know where, where's the justice in this you know and so forth and so on. And uh, but <clears throat> when you're faced with trials, I, I've increasingly come to think that there's there's one question that is really the pressing question in the, in the trial, mm-hmm. and it's a question that I think that that God will answer for us, and that is that is in this trial, I am ge- being given an opportunity to manifest God's character in how I respond. Mm-hmm. I have a chance to live the gospel right now in the midst of this trial. So what? What does what does God how does God want me to exhibit faithfulness in this concrete reality right now? And as, so, as I think, as a parent, that, that's that's the, the the question that I would ask that parent to to be framing as they're thinking, receiving this this testimony of the kid. And that's what I would want the parent to try to be communicating to the child. In, in a sense of, I want, I want to listen, I want to be there for you, but the, the biggest thing I want for you is that, the, that you approach this challenge in your life in a way that helps you to, to remain faithful to God and ask, how can I exhibit that faithfulness in the way that I respond as I move forward with my life? And that's going to that's gonna be a long-term project for which you have to be in relationship with the child.
1: Now we've we've kind of looked at it from pretty much from the parent side. What about from the child side and the the child who makes the effort to do this? What 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 counsel would you give to the to the child who's taking this step and or to a pastor who's gonna come alongside? Well I think for a a child, I think
2: um, it depends a little bit on the age we're talking about, but you know, to be able to come to your parents. They, they will hear this differently if you make a declaration about a gay identity and sort of plant a flag, you know, in the middle of the family room at Thanksgiving and say, this is who I am, and it, and, and let parents kind of their minds go to all kinds of ramifications of that. And and some some young people do that, and I, I do think it's more of an act of resilience at that moment mm-hmm. to, like, this is what I need to do to, to make this work for me. Um, you know, I recommend that young people grasp how that language affects parents, that generation before them Mm -hmm. is not going to respond really well to some of those key words Mm -hmm. and ways of thinking about yourself. But to say, Mom and Dad, I, I have been dealing with something in my life for a while now, and I want to bring you in. I want you to know about something because I know you love me, and I need you now more than ever. I think that prelude to sharing about your same-sex sexuality pulls on a parent's natural desire to love their child and to protect their child. I think parents aren't often given the opportunity to respond at their best when it feels more of a declaration mm-hmm. with language that pulls almost a visceral reaction from them. And, uh, and many parents – you know, are under the impression that they're the ones who caused their child's homosexuality. So they often feel like they're somehow culpable in Mm -hmm. their child's – there can be a kind of evangelical subculture shame around homosexuality that not just is my child dealing with this, but now my family's dealing with this, like Mm -hmm. we are dealing with this. And what does that mean about me as a father, me as a mother, us within our faith community? And I think that's why many people feel like it's a zero-sum game with the local church is that is that um, the way to move forward? Is I'm going to have to choose between my church or my child, mm-hmm. and oftentimes people feel like they don't have a way, you know, to do, to stay in connection with both. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Daryl, if I can also yeah. just throw in that um, thinking, you brought up the issue of the parent who's receiving it, but also the pastor. And mm-hmm. In a sense, in a sense, what 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 does what would the pastor want to leave with this 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 uh, young person, this mm-hmm. young adult who's made this declaration? And I, I really think of the the power of some of the, the issues that Mark talked about in his in his talk, where um, in terms of of what what the church is giving the, the 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 child when a person is struggling with this, when a young person is struggling with this, the ch- what they're hearing from the church is is very little and very late. It's you know sort of mm-hmm. this is not a good thing, mm-hmm. but we don't have a compelling alternative to offer. And what they're we're hearing from the gay community is we're ready for you. We we we've walked this path. Mm-hmm. We're we're ready. And so I think that that for for the pastor to to be able to be the the listening resource and to be ready to invite the child, even if even if the pastor doesn't have this well worked out, to say. To say that, that God can God can open up a path of fullness for your life uh, in the midst of this, that 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 is going to be can can lead to a life of blessing. This is a this is an experience that you that you're having, w- that uh, that is not outside the domains of, of the grace of God. We can God can open up a path of blessing for this. I will I will journey with alongside you with this, and I can be a resource to you even, as I as I find out more about
1: this. Now the difficulty here, it seems to me, is is the is the sense of communicating. I don't know if you struggle how to say this, but um, that uh, I'm talking about the pastor now coming alongside and saying, in effect, um, uh, I want I want to be there alongside you and 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 recognize that you've taken this step, but but th- there's there's this discomfort of of am I supporting something that. That represents a, a violation of a of a moral standard that the church has, and how will that? How should I think about that? How should the pastor approach that tension? Well, I, th- I think that
0: um, at that point, the pastor I think needs to recognize that uh, that the the pastoral office of sort of declaring the word of God is an important important office to exercise, but that they're dealing with a young person who's whose who's intention about the church's teachings at that point in time. And the, the way to help that person best at that time is not to sort of ratchet up the pressure and, and just sort of know this is what you must believe. Mm-hmm. Don't turn, stay with the convicted, the convicted part. You have, convictions, you have convictions that are based on the Word of God. But what's going to help that person at that point in time is to say, let's create some space where we can look at it. I I keep coming back to the fact that that the scripture is replete with so many instances where God Embraces and allows the doubt of his people, whether whether it's, mm-hmm. the, whether it's the rich resources of the Psalms, where people are crying out with their pain to God, and so forth. Whether it's the testimony of the Book of Job, or or, or whether it's Jesus' own response to the doubts of his disciples, where he he works with them and he, he continues to t- teaches and he teaches and he teaches again. Um, I think that if we can if we can say, "Tell me about your doubts. Tell me about where what your fundamental struggle is," and and keep the relationship going. Um, the, to to respond in a way that doesn't give up on the conviction at all, but also says, let's work through honest problems. You know, there's a lot of confusion in the church today. Let's 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 read some books together. Let's let's read a book that that reinforces the traditional view. Let's read a book that that challenges the traditional view. Let's work them through and see which ones make sense. I, I was really I've really been um, impressed by several people that I that I know who are living chaste. Uh, Chaste lifestyles as, as people who are who experience same sex attraction, but they're living as traditionalist Christians, and one you know, one very common theme among them is when I really got down to looking at what the Bible really said, I it was it really I, I walked through that with someone, and I really came to the point where I had to make the decision. I had to make the decision. To be a faithful disciple, how do I need to conduct my life? And and by then I had fallen in love with Christ, and I and I and I knew that what I wanted, I didn't want that this outcome or that outcome. I wanted the faithful outcome that Christ was was asking me to do. And so for the pastor to help that person face the complexity of those questions, I think is really really crucial. Anything else, Park?
2: Yeah, know? I mean, I I would uh, as a pastor in that moment, I would nurture their relationship with God, and that's you want to help them grow into greater spiritual maturity over time. And a friend of mine who's dealt with this in her her own life, navigating these issues of same-sex sexuality in her own life said, look, how do any of us come to trust uh, and follow God's revealed will for human sexuality? The only reason any of us ever even consider that is we believe God is a good and loving Father whose plan is better than our own for how we would live our lives. But how do any of us ever trust God to be that kind of a good and loving father? Mm. And it's in that moment with that pastor, they realize, wait a minute, this pastor who represents God to me loves me like a good and loving father and is willing to be in a sustained relationship with me as a representative of who Christ is in this world. And that sustained relationship that doesn't say, well, I love you on the condition that you follow these things. No, I'm going to stay... All in with you and love you, then they can begin to believe that there is actually a God who is a good and loving father whose plan is good for them. And then they would consider living into that in their sexuality. Mm -hmm. Well, we
1: barely got started on the scenarios. We're out of time. Uh, l- l- let me let me wrap up this way because uh, we do need to kind of pull it together. Um, if you were to give uh, one piece of advice to people who wrestle in this area and who are trying to deal with the tension between their convictions and their civility and their uh, the directness of the challenge of their convictions, uh, what, what 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 advice would you be? I'll let each of you get one shot at it, Mark. <laughs> This is for the person who's trying to balance conviction. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, uh, I think realize that you gravitate towards one or the other, Mm -hmm. and it's easy to surround yourself with people who gravitate towards the same area that you do. Mm -hmm. So, I think the challenge is always to prayerfully and in humility consider: um, is is my growth edge in the area that I gravitate towards, or in the other area? And what would God have me do? Mm -hmm. Stay. It's very
0: tough to give one piece of advice I, I, yeah. I, I suppose my advice would be that in when, when you're when you're ministering to people who are in pain it is a good thing to remain absolutely committed to your convictions but to err. Air when challenged on the side of civility and care, mm-hmm. to, to to because you can always return to the conviction. Mm-hmm. The issue is more difficult when you're talking about how institutions form themselves, and mm-hmm. and and institutions are, are are delicate mechanisms and and delicate creations. And I think that we we need to to, to really work at both dimensions of it. Uh, but I think for institutions, I think we can we can maintain that balance of conviction and civility, especially if we work harder at grounding our teachings our convictions about homosexuality in a broader set of convictions about sexuality in general so that we have a more persuasive winsome positive message and it's not the conviction is not just this part is wrong but the conviction is here's the broader story of what what the goodness of God how the goodness of God is manifested in his gift of sexuality here's what's good and here's the the, 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 the type of moral uh, uh, moral virtue towards which we're trying to we're all all trying to be shaped, uh, all, all Christians. All you know, kinds.
1: my sense is is that it, it, you know when we talk about conviction, particularly in this area, we're ultimately thinking about well, at some point there's a challenge that's going to be offered in terms of the way a person may be thinking about this. And, and my take has been that you're always in a better position to challenge if the person you are interacting with knows that you care for them, love them, trust them, you know, you're in a relationship of trust with them, and, that, and they, they know that you care about them. That's right. And so building that foundation of care and trust actually can put you in a better position to have an honest, direct, forthright conversation that's honest on all sides about what everybody's thinking than if you simply um, you know, apply your, your standard and walk away. Um, uh, so well, I thank you all for taking the time to be with us yet again on this uh, topic, which we keep coming around to, and I suspect it's not going away. That we're around for a while on dealing with this uh, mm-hmm. and helping the church wrestle with an area that really is uh, um, one of tension that we that we all wrestle to negotiate with, and that no one has you know uh, uh, the clean, crisp answers to because we do live in a, in a in a world in which we all we all struggle to walk faithfully with God in one way or another. And so I thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And we thank you for being a part of The Table where we discuss issues of God and culture. We look forward to seeing you again.
0: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast.
3: For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth,
0: love well.